Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Summer is the time of year when we all take a vacation. Some of you like going to the beach. Some of you like the mountains. Others of you have your old standbys that you visit every year. And some of you like taking a vacation and going to places that you've never been. And that's what we're gonna do through our series Vacation. We are going to take you to places where most of you have never been before. Each week, we're gonna travel to some of the legendary places in the world and hear some stories that change the course of history. So pack your bags, it's time for a vacation. Today, we are traveling to Judah. Now, if you're like me, sometimes when you're reading the Old Testament, it can be a little confusing because you'll read about Israel and then you'll read about Judah and you're wondering, is it the same thing? Well, it kind of used to be and then it wasn't. So let me help clear that up for you. Remember, it was Moses who got the people out of Egypt, and he was the one that was supposed to take them to the promised land. Well, when the Israelites finally settle in the new land, God's plan was for them to be a theocracy. In other words, God would be their king, and the whole point was that Israel would be different from any other nation on earth. God would bless the nation of Israel so that all of the surrounding nations would go, wow, who is your God? We want your God to be our God. See, Israel was supposed to reflect the glory of God and be a light to the Gentiles. And by Gentiles, I mean anyone who wasn't Jewish. But the problem was, when they got into the promised land, they did what most people do. They just started looking around instead of looking up to God. And when they looked around, they saw that all the other nations had a king. And so they went to God and they said, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else, which is a problem that everybody has. And God says, listen, I'm your king. You don't need another king. And they said, ah, we know you're our king, but we want to be like everybody else. And God says, okay, but guess what? Having a king, you're not going to like because you're not going to be able to do whatever you want. You're going to have to do what he wants. And the people said, we don't care. And so God gave him a king. And about 1050 BC, Israel gets their first king, a guy by the name of Saul. And then after Saul was David, and after David was David's son Solomon. And about 930 BC, the people started thinking, this isn't going to work. And the nation of Israel split into two parts. They had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was Israel, and the southern kingdom was Judah. And for the next 300 years, both of these kingdoms had their own kings. Some of them were obedient to God's commands, and some of them were disobedient. And whenever God uh, found them to be disobedient, God would send a prophet. That's why when you read your Old Testament, you see it's all full of prophets like Isaiah and Malachi and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And these prophets would go speak for God to the kings and they would tell them, hey, cut it out. You need to return to God. Stop doing things your way and do things his way. You better repent. You better lead the people back to God. And when the kings would obey, God wouldn't judge them. But when the kings would disobey, he would let them face the consequences. And today we're gonna to look at one of those kings of Judah, a guy by the name of Jehoshaphat. 
And it's his inspiring story of how he looked to God to lead him through all adversity will be the secret for you to know how to get through anything that you face. This is a great story. So sit back and relax as we travel to Judah. Unpopular opinions. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Unpopular opinions. Let me give you an example. Well done steak is really good. Chick-fil-A is bad. The Longhorns will win in the SEC, right? Unpopular opinions. Something a majority of people don't agree with, but you hold that opinion strongly. So I've got an unpopular opinion about vacation that I want to share with you. But before I share it with you, last service, I got booed, okay? So I'm locking the doors. We're putting guards there. If you're watching online, we're tracking your IP address. No, we're not doing that. Okay, let me share my unpopular opinion with you. I think that the beach is overrated. I said it. A little bit. Oh, we got some cheers. All right. Now, listen, it's not about the sound. It's not about the view. It's about one thing, the sand. Sand is like glitter in my kids' toys. I didn't ask for it. Why is it everywhere? What's happening? Sand gets everywhere. The worst part is when you go to a beach where they have those little um, showers that like rinse off your legs and your body, but the showers have been there for 20 years and the path to get back to your car has been there for 25. So it has just as much sand as the beach itself. And you rinse off and then you go and you get covered in sand again. There's sand everywhere. So just not a fan of the beach. But marriage doesn't care about my unpopular opinion. So I had been able to avoid going on a beach vacation for 10 years. It's a true story. 10 years. But my wife, celebrating our 10-year anniversary, I took her to the beach. I took her to St. Croix. So there's me and my wife. You see us on the beach. I'm just with my girl. I look like I'm loving the sand on my feet, but I hate every minute of that, I'll tell you. We also are blessed with two kiddos, been married 10 years, two kiddos, Jed and Landry. And if you're looking at photos of us on the screen, the answer is yes, we only take professional photography, okay? That's all that our family, no, it's not. But these are the best photos I got of us. But I don't love the beach. But one thing that's really tough for me about going on vacation is the preparation. Can you agree? Preparation to go on vacation. You gotta figure out what to do with the animals. You got to figure out, okay, I'm going to do this for work. And then it's a, sometimes it's easier not even to go. If you are traveling with kids, you end up with like eight totes and you only have two children. You have no idea like, how many kids do we have? What are we taking? And you open up a tote and it's all, oh, that's a snack tote. You open up that, that's the toy tote. You open up that, that's the sleeping tote. What? What's happening? Just give them an iPad. Let's call it a day. That's what I thought. Clearly not. You gotta figure all the prep stuff out. How many of you have ever gone on vacation and not been prepared for something? Anybody here? Yeah, we got a couple people, right? You forget your underwear, forgot a toothbrush, forgot your, forgot your suitcase, you know, forgot your passport. Those things happen. Preparation. So I told you we just went to St. Croix, my wife and I. Last night, my wife and I are having a beautiful overpriced dinner. And I'm sitting there on the, uh, like with the beach to my back and, you know, we got fish or something in front of us. Server brings our check. And I don't even want to look at it. I just give her the card. It's one of those times. And she takes the card and she walks down. So we're kind of on an elevated area. She walks down to the tables that are by the ocean. And I'm watching my wife. And as I'm watching my wife, my wife kind of looks over to the side. And then she says, 
I think the server just dropped your card in the ocean. And I said, come again? Yeah, the server just dropped your card in the ocean. So our server walks back up very defeated. And she looks and she pulls the thing out from, and she opens it. And my wife says, did you drop our card in the ocean? And she says, yeah, it's swimming with the fishes. So my wife whips out the same exact card, but with her name on it and gives it to her and says, hey, no worries, we're prepared people. Gotta be prepared for anything. So just know it's really inconvenient when your car falls in the ocean. All my auto pays all messed up now. It's the worst. But the, the fish haven't charged me anything. So it's good. There are two kinds of people that pack in this world on vacation. The preparer and the procrastinator. I'm prepared for anything on a vacation. I really am. I take like that thing that like gets around your waist for security purposes and you put like, you know, a couple hundred dollars in there and your passport and you strap it to your body but I'm in Colorado and there's no reason I need a passport anyway, but I still have it. I've got all these flashlights, like how many lumens are you talking about, right? What kind of lumen vacation is this? Is it 200 lumen or is it like a 500, 8,000? What do you need? I get ready for everything. I got a little bottle and on the, it's like a mini pharmacy, right? It's like a mini CVS. It's got Benadryl on the bottom, then ibuprofen, then a bunch of other stuff. I've got to look up because I don't remember. I just poured it all in there. I've got that mini pharmacy bottle. My wife says, my head hurt. I just, we pour it out and we just go through it prepared for anything. Preparation happens in your life all the time. You prepare for your budget. You prepare for your groceries, your meal prep, whatever. And I know somebody's here like, I just wing it all. And I want you to know I'm praying for you. And if you're married, I'm praying for your spouse. You can't just wing everything. There's some stuff that you're prepared for in life. Here's a premise I'm gonna make for you today. We should be prepared in our spiritual life just as much as we prepare in our normal life. We're going to talk about a guy named Jehoshaphat that Rob mentioned, and we're going to be in Second Chronicles. And the, the story that we're talking about here is Jehoshaphat prepared for battle. Battle is not as fun as vacation. I'll give you that. But did you know you're going to face more battles in life than you're going to take vacations? I don't know how many vacations you go on. I get to go on a couple a year. I'm facing battles like every single day. And Scripture tells us that we're going to face battle Ephesians 6, it says we don't wrestle against flesh, but there's spiritual authorities and spiritual forces that we deal with. John 16, it says, in this world, you will have trouble. And Jesus says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We know there's battles happening. So I'm gonna be transparent with you as I stand up here, and I'm gonna tell you about something that I battle with. I battle with health anxiety. Have you guys ever been to Dr. Google? Have you ever taken a visit to Dr. Google? He's not your friend. Did you know that? No bedside manner. He just tells you like it is, and every other thing is that you're going to die. That's pretty much what it is. Not a fan. But this is something that I deal with in my life. And so I navigate through it, and I want to tell you that because I want you to know when we're talking about the principles that we are going to address today, I'm walking them with you. I'm living them with you. I'm not just standing up here saying, if you do this stuff, you're never going to have a battle in your life. No, I'm telling you, these are principles we learn from this story, and these are things that I'm trying to apply to my life as well. But it's not just scripture that tells us there's battles around us. In this very room, with this many people, watching online with this many people, there's battles. Here are some statistics that tell us about the battles people face. 23 million Americans currently have an alcohol or a drug addiction. One in four have experienced or are experiencing abuse. 
80% Americans have debt. 30% of people say they're unhappy in their marriage. 45 have suffered from a chronic illness. 93% of parents say they feel pressure to be a better parent. There's battles everywhere around you. So whatever you're walking through this morning, whatever you're walking through today, you are not alone. There are lots of people walking through battles. Some of you, you're sitting right next to that battle. You can say, hmm, right to them right now. There's a lot of things around us that we would deem battles. I learn best in visuals, and so I want to use this as an example throughout our sermon today. I want these ping pong balls to just represent different battles in your life, okay? Maybe it's financial, maybe it's marital. Maybe you got something like me, like health anxiety, something I've dealt with since I was a kid. And, and it's not just a little ping pong ball. No, it's, it's heavier, it's stronger. You know, some battles in our life are more permanent than others. Paul says that he has something that was like a thorn in his flesh, just something he always had to deal with. Some of them are a little bit more temporary than others. But there's battles all over the place. Your neighbor, soccer moms, kids team, the coach. There's battles all over the place. And some are big and some are not as big. But we're gonna talk about principles from the life of King Jehoshaphat that help us understand how do we battle well? How to fight a battle and be prepared. One of the things that I learned as I was going through the last kind of little stint in my health anxiety, a word that God gave me that I wanna give to you is this. My situation will never be bigger than my savior. I want you to hear that. My situation will never be bigger than my savior. I am always going to have God on my side. And we're not gonna see, we're gonna see that that's true for me, that's true for you, it's true for Jehoshaphat. So 2 Chronicles, it actually starts in chapter 17. And I'm gonna run you through the life of Jehoshaphat really quick before we get into our scripture. So as Rob mentioned, there are two kingdoms. There is Judah and there's Israel. And they got a little bit of a rivalry kind of thing. You know, it's a little bit Cowboys-Eagles kind of thing, right? It's only a rivalry if the Cowboys ever win. So let's step it up, guys, okay, if you're watching. Jehoshaphat is the fourth king of Judah. And he's a good guy. He's a good man. Here's what 2 Chronicles 17 says. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. Everybody likes this guy. Good dude. He's got lots of money. He's got lots of power. He's got, I mean, he's got like Jeff Bezos going to space money. I mean, this guy's got everything, okay? And sometimes I might call him Jojo, so just go with me, right? Joseph, that's a hard name to say. So Jojo's got everything. He's got all that you could ask for in the world. Everybody loved this guy so much that it, the Bible says one of the kingdoms brought him 7,700 Tom Brady's. That's goats is what that is. If you don't, all right. That didn't work for any service, but I tried it all three. Goats. Somebody brought him nearly 8,000 goats. If you think that I do good today, is there anybody here that would give me a handshake agreement or online that they will bring me 8,000 goats because I do a great job? No, not one taker. All right, that's fine. But they love this guy. They bring him stuff. They're giving him gifts and honor, all these kind of things because he's such a good guy. But the longer that he is in power, he starts to kind of have a little bit of trouble. Second Chronicles 18, his daughter marries into the other kingdom. Remember, he's from Judah. His daughter marries into Israel. So he becomes friends with the king of Israel. His name's Ahab. 
So Ahab convinces Jehoshaphat to go into battle and to go into a war that they shouldn't have been in. He says, hey, we're gonna go into war. And Jehoshaphat says, hey, listen, maybe we should like consult God or consult prophet. We should ask somebody if we should be doing this. Here's what Ahab says. Hey, look, every time I ask like the prophets or all these people of God, every time I ask him what they should be doing, nobody's ever on my side. I don't know if they're lying. Maybe they just don't like me, but we just shouldn't ask them. And Jehoshaphat agrees. Let me just tell you, if you got friends like this in your life, just, just cut them off. Just block their number right now. This, this is what happens when they're going to go into battle. Second Chronicles 18, 29. And the king of Israel, Ahab, says to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle. You just wear your robes. He's not a good friend. You ever heard that phrase like bad company corrupts good morals? There's a passage in, in scripture. This is one of those ideas. Ahab's gonna get him to do something that's a bad idea. If you got friends like this in your life, it's okay to step away. That's a free piece of advice. So he goes to battle and here's what happens. The other people say, we wanna kill the king. Well, guess what? One king is disguised and one king decided to show up in all his garb. And who is it? Jehoshaphat. So they're like, kill that guy. So they start circling around him. They think he's gonna die and he cries out to God. And it says this, and Joseph had cried out and the Lord helped him and God drew them away from him. Whew. God saved the day. And then in a random twist of events at the end of 2 Chronicles 18, it says, a random guy drew an arrow and shot it and hit Ahab and then he died. That's like a random way to end a story, but that's what happened. So my conclusion to that is God's gonna do what God's gonna do. This guy was a bad friend, bad advice, and then he got himself killed. So that's where we're gonna pick up. Second Chronicles 20. That's where we're gonna be in our story. So Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse one. Very simply, it says this. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with some of them, the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. This is the hardest part about the Old Testament, right? You got all these ites, and you're like, well, who's, who are these guys? They're just, they're other tribes. They're other people that are against him. Remember what I just told you? Nobody was against this guy. Everybody wanted to be his friend. He had honor, he had riches, he had all this stuff. Jehoshaphat had more soldiers than the US military. This guy had everything. And they decide they're gonna battle against him. Verse two, some men came and they told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Here's what they wanna tell him, battle is coming. Three forces have joined into one to fight you. So they're saying they're already here, they're getting close, you, you better get ready, you better get ready. So 2 Chronicles 20 verse three then says this, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord. Imagine being rich and honorable, and you got an army bigger than the U.S. Army, and you hear that somebody's come against battle against you, and you're scared. That's the very first thing, he's scared. You see, this is gonna be our first point. Battle forces us to look in. It forces us to look in. And to look in is to reveal something. 
When you look in in your life, you reveal something about where you are currently with yourself, with God. Where are you? Here's what it reveals about Jehoshaphat. He's afraid. He's scared. You ever had a battle come against you in your life and your first reaction is you're scared? You wouldn't be alone. I've had that. That's been my response. I told you, I go to Dr. Google, everything's scary. Everything's afraid. This is his first emotion. Let me tell you the current fear in my house. Sharks. My mother-in-law bought my daughter a book about sharks. Very fact-based book, by the way. But now, my daughter keeps telling me how scared she is of sharks. Dad, did you know if you're walking on the beach line and you get into the shallow water, you might step on a shark and it will bite your leg off? I say, well, I've never seen a shark in my whole life. Dad, there's sharks all over the... If you are the person that catches the shark in Eagle Mountain Lake, or you catch a shark over here at the Vows Pond, you let me know and I'll tell her, okay? She's very afraid of these sharks. Here's the weirdest part. She says, Dad, will you read my shark book to me before I go to bed? So we read a book every night. Will you read this book? But I want you to read this page that really scares me. What? This is what happens. I no, I'm not gonna read the page that really scares you, right? Read Peppa Pig or something. Yeah, go, go read something else. We do this in our life. We sit in this fear and then we wallow on it. Here's a quote that I heard that I love. It says that we live, we live in the story that we tell ourselves. We live in the story that we tell ourselves. Her story is all about sharks. It's all about fear. Jehoshaphat's all about fear. That's what's happening to him in that moment. It engulfs us. And we start to tell ourselves, this is the story that we are living in. And for many of us, we may stop there. We may pump the brakes. Er, okay, God, I'm scared. That's it. Just God, I'm scared. Okay, I'm scared and I'm worried. And that's it. And we feel like if we stop there, then that's good. Here's what happens in the story, though where Jehoshaphat's fear is going to fail him, his faith is going to save him. That's true for us. Where your fear will fail you, your faith will save you. Now, I'm not an English professor by any means, but what happens in this story, there's a compound sentence. It says he was afraid and this happened. There's two different thought processes happening, but they're brought together. He's scared, but he does something about it. Here's what he does. He sets his face to seek the Lord. Sets his face to seek the Lord. Here's, here's how we put that in our terms. He said, God, I need help. It's not just that I'm afraid. I need help. I need your help. Now, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but I'll walk around Home Depot for about an hour before I ask for help. Anybody with me? I look it up online. And then it says it's in aisle 37. You walk into Home Depot and it's aisle one through 36. And you say, who set this up? You say, where's aisle 37? Oh, it's back, it's turned sideways and it's only that long. So that's, what, that's why I couldn't find it. And there's always a man, he has like experience written on his hands. Like he built everything in America. And he comes up to you and he says, can I help you, son? What can I help you find? No, 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 I'll find that sprinkler head by myself. I'll be here for two hours, no big deal. I just... I struggle to ask for help in that way. Some of you 
will have a flat tire, you'd rather chew gum and stick it in the hole of a tire than ask somebody for help. It's just kind of what we do in life sometimes. We, we struggle to ask for help. Psalm 139, David, he tells God, search me, God, know my heart. Asking for help, this admission that we need it, is a part of fighting our battle. And what we're gonna do today is I told you all of these things represent different battles in your life and different things that you're facing. When we look in, when we reveal a little bit about ourselves, we start to kind of put a little pressure on some of these battles. We start to get a little honest. We start to get a little humble about where we are. So I thought to myself, who are the most, what's the most honest thing that I could tell you when I stand on this stage? Or what's the most honest example I could give you? And then I remembered I have kids. Let me tell you something. Kids are honest. Do you know that? To like for their benefit or for their fault. Kids are honest. So instead of telling you a story about my kids though, I said, I'm gonna go to the internet and I'm gonna find some of the most honest kid quotes that I can. Here are some of the honest kid quotes I found. Kira, age seven, she's dealing with a battle. She says, I'll just take a nap. That's how you solve that. That's fair. That's, that's solved some of my problems before too. How about this kid, age six? Sometimes I fall down on purpose so I could take a break. I like that. This kid, age seven, I don't care and I'm not getting any more cares today. You log that one away. I don't care and I'm not getting any more cares. How about Jameson? The depth of my heart, Jameson, I feel you, age two. He says, I'm too sad for pants. You ever in your life been too sad for pants? Yeah, I have. Yeah, 100%. If you're still working from home, yeah, sad for pants. It's about honesty because honesty breeds humility. When we are honest with where we are, when we are honest, like Jehoshaphat, I'm afraid, I need to seek God. God, I need your help in this battle. When we are honest, we become humble. That's what God wants from us in my struggle, in your struggle, in our battle. So why does it matter though? Why does it matter if I'm humble in the battle I'm fighting? It matters to God, but it matters for God. That's our second point. We look out. It's gonna sound a little bit crazy for me when I tell you that in your battle, I want you to think about other people. But that's exactly what happens in this story. Jehoshaphat could have like gotten his, like he could have gotten like maybe one or two people with him like to do a prayer circle, or he could have just said, hey, I'm gonna go to God by myself and I'm just gonna cry out and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna tell God everything I need. That's not what he did. What did he do? Second Chronicles 20, verse three and four. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord. Here's even more. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. When I heard this story, God showed me something. We can lead even when we're low. Other people watch how we battle, how we fight, and we can lead them to the Lord. Jehoshaphat chose to put a fast throughout all the kingdom. Now, just to give you an education, a fast, you're intentionally abstaining from food. That's what a fast is. 
And there's a couple of reasons in scripture why you would fast. And here's a couple. To strengthen prayer, to seek God's guidance, to seek protection and deliverance, to humble oneself before God. That's why you'd fast. So two years ago, BC, before COVID, my wife and I had a foreign exchange student. I don't know if you've ever had an exchange student, but they come, once you like go through the process, they say, we gotta come to your house and we gotta make sure everything is good for your student. Okay, sure, totally, understand, it's a stranger. They come to your house and they say, do they got a bed? Yes, they got a bed, check. Are you gonna take care of them? Yeah, okay, all right, well, your student will be here in a couple days. That's what happens, that's the extent of the check. So we go through ours and then our coordinator drops the bombshell on me. She says, hey, I just wanna let you guys know something. Your student's a vegetarian. And my heart broke and I fell backwards and I grabbed my chest and I said, that's an unpopular opinion for sure. That's, I said, do we even have vegetables in our house? I don't know how to cook tofu. I'd like every stereotype I could come up with just like started coming out of my mouth. So she came and I realized, hey, you know what? My family actually does eat pretty, pretty well. We eat some vegetables quite a bit. But something she told me that stuck with me, she said, you guys eat way too much food. So every time we would cook, we would always just put the extra food aside. Like if you guys have like a, like a dog or like chickens or something, whatever, you might have like the scrap bucket. You know what I'm talking about? And like you just throw stuff in there, whatever. It felt weird, but it kind of became like that. She would have like a Tupperware that just had a bunch of random vegetables in it from like weeks ago. And I'm like, you can't eat those, they're bad. She's like, I'll just heat it up. We'll put garlic on it, it'll be fine. And that's what she would eat. I don't know, I can't explain it. Here's my point. We ate a lot of food. Fasting is a very foreign concept to us in America, for the most part. The reason I'm mentioning this is because I want you to understand Joseph had chose to have these people abstain from food. It's a big deal. He is telling God, I'm serious about this. I am so serious that I need help, I need deliverance, I need something. He's taking every measure he can to ensure God will respond. So not only did he fast, but he also prayed. And I was thinking about, you know, what in my life can I, can I use to help you understand that how we battle matters to others? I told you I deal with some anxiety. Sometimes my anxiety is so bad, I just feel like I don't want to be around others and maybe others don't want to be around me. Anybody ever felt like that before? You're just kind of dealing with that in your life. So I'm upstairs in my, in my room. My kids are downstairs. They're eating breakfast. I don't know, something's going on. And I just don't want to be around anybody. It's just one of those mornings. And my daughter comes upstairs and she says, Dad, are you awake? I said, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. You know, just a tough day. So she gives me a piece of paper and I think, oh, my sweet girl, she's gonna give me a paper and it's gonna say, Jesus loves you. You're the best dad in the whole world. I think the paper is gonna say, dad, I've been praying for you. You're gonna get through it. She gives me this paper and it says, wake up. That's what it says. <laughs> and in green, it says, please. You know why I keep this paper? because how I fight my battle matters to a seven-year-old. She can see how oh, dad's not really even trying today. 
Dad's not even battling today. Dad's not even giving this to God. He just, he's giving up a little bit. Like, I don't even know what's going on. How you fight your battle, it matters. I told you when you look in, it reveals something about us. But when we start to look at and think about how we fight impacts other people, it does something to those battles. It starts to kind of make us change a little bit. If you guys have been here for a time, you know Pastor Bill's story. You just watched somebody walk through a battle and they inspired you in their battle. Is that true? So how you fight and how you navigate this, it can impact other people. Our pain has a purpose. Bill says it this way, don't waste your trouble. So Joseph had did two things. He fasted and then he prayed. And here's what he prayed. It's a little bit long, but I'm gonna read this for you. This is 2 Chronicles 20, verse 6, 9, and 12. Here's what he prayed over his people. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kings of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. 20 verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we're powerless against this great horde that's coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat's prayer revealed something. If he couldn't lead them to victory, he would lead them to the victor. If he couldn't lead them to victory, he would lead them to the victor. It reminds me of that saying, your faith is personal, but it's not private. Do you understand that? Your faith is personal, but it's not private. Others watch and we can lead them to God in how we fight. The last thing I wanna tell you is that ultimately what Jehoshaphat wanted to do was he wanted people to look up. That's our last point. I told you looking in is about revealing, looking up is about releasing. When I hear the phrase look up, I think about space. So envision this with me, the year is 1970. The United States has just sent two crews to the moon. They're about to send another one. It's a normal day up in space, this crew is headed out to the moon. They go to stir their oxygen tank and it blows up. Boom! And then they radio in with the most famous line, Houston, we got a problem. Apollo 13. So they spend the next couple of days trying to figure out, how do we stay alive? What do we do? So they came up with a plan. They're gonna slingshot around the moon and they're gonna come back to Earth. Here's one of the things that the astronauts said that stood out to me. We knew as long as we could see Earth, we could get home. As long as we could see Earth, we could get home. As long as we are looking to God, we'll get home. We have a direction, we have an area, we know where we are going. Hebrews 12, two reminds us, it says to look to Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Just like Jehoshaphat, our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Every battle that we have, temporary, permanent, 
Whatever it is that we're walking in comes down to release. See, when you look up, when you have your eyes fixed on Jesus, when you realize that all the things that you're navigating and struggling through and battling in, there's a better way to do things. I, there's not every battle's gonna go away. Not everything you fight. And some days it's gonna get a little bit more than others. But when we're humble and we look in, when we fight for and with our other people, and when we look up, it becomes about release. You know, trusting is a process. You gotta trust every day. You gotta choose every day. Am I gonna trust God with this? See, release is not just about, am I gonna trust God with this one time? Oh, you might have to release it every single day. And on this side of heaven, you may never have it perfect and you may never have it figured out. My encouragement to you is this, but there's a better way than doing nothing. One of the ways I think about this is we think in life, what God wants us to do is to try harder. He wants to, oh, well, if you would just do this thing and do that and try this way. God doesn't want you to give more. God wants you to give up. Give up your agenda. Give up your way of doing things. Give up your battle. Give it to God and watch what he does with it. Watch what he does with Jehoshaphat's as we end this story. Second Chronicles 20, 15 through 17. The spirit falls in a man, his name is Jehaziel. And he stands up and he speaks this over all the people. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go against them and behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position. See the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. He released his battle to God and God delivered him. When they showed up, read the rest of the story, all of the tribes that, were, that had decided to be against them had turned against one another and killed each other. So all they did was show up and Jehoshaphat was so faithful, he didn't just show up with weapons, he showed up with worship. He brought people to sing along with him and they sang, great is the Lord for his faithfulness. That's what they did. He didn't bring weapons, he brought worship because he trusted God that when he released his battle, God would take care of it. My question to you today and my challenge to you can you identify a battle in your life that you need to release to God? Can you think about that thing right now that you haven't let go? Well, Dallas, how do I know if I haven't let something go? I mean, I've tried to let it go and I think I've let it go. I don't really know. Scripture is very clear. There is a peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And you know why I can't explain it? Because it surpasses all understanding. There's no way to explain this peace you feel when you give it to God and he puts something inside of you that says, oh, I, okay, that doesn't make sense. My sister-in-law asked me, she said, I have a friend, he has cancer and he knows that he's gonna pass away. And he posted on social media and he said, hey guys, it's been great, but I'm going to be with Jesus. 
And she says, how does somebody come to a place where they just like, they can say something like that? And I say, you know why? A peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense to you. It doesn't make sense to anybody else, but it makes sense to them. You have a battle. And when you give it to God, that's the peace he'll give you. It doesn't have to make sense to every single person, but it'll make sense to your heart. If you do not have peace, you have not released. Say that one more time. If you don't have peace, you have not released. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for the incredible work that you do when you fight our battles. Father, we know that you will take on these battles and you will settle them for us. God, you may not take us out of every single battle we're going to face. We still have to show up and stand firm. But God, we can believe in you and believe in your name that you will do everything you say you will. God, you are for us. You are with us. And you want great things for us. For anybody watching online, for anybody in this room that has a battle in their life that they have not released to you, let today be the day that they give that to you. Let them lay it down at the foot of the cross. Let them hand it over and trust you because God, you will deliver us on this side of heaven or the other. God, and we can trust that you will do it. Father, we are thankful. You've never lost a battle and you never will. It's in the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.